Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 158. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and today we're talking a little bit about risk parity and some of the risk in risk parity, and really some of the risk in bonds given the expectation of higher interest rates. And maybe in a, a future episodes, we'll compare kind of our idea about hedged equity strategies and how that relates. That would be a good episode to do. This one came from a question I got about, hey, what's the deal with these all-weather portfolios or risk parity strategies? What is that all about? And if they're levering up bonds, and not all are levered, does that add risk? So I'll kind of explain what they are, and I'll also explain how leverage works in some of these risk parity strategies. So first off, you've probably heard of the, the all-weather portfolio or the permanent portfolio, and these have been around for a while. And the permanent portfolio, I think that was, was it Harry Brown? I think it was Harry Brown. It had to be back in the, the 1980s. I guess since I mentioned the permanent for portfolio, I will start there. And it was this idea that you have a few different asset classes that all don't have the same correlations, meaning when some of them are going up, some of them are going down. And it's also sort of, it's one of those things that it can help offset risk depending upon the different market environment that you're in. So I remember it's been a while since I, uh, I read up on it, but I remember the, the premise that, okay, there's all these different regimes, we'll call it. And the regimes are, you know, you have really good growth uh, or you have recessions or you have inflationary periods. And here, actually, I, I pulled it up. Let me be a little more accurate. And this is a quote from... Uh, just Google it. Brown argued that a portfolio mix would be profitable in all types of economic situations. Growth stocks would prosper in expansionary markets, precious metals in inflationary markets, meaning uh, rising prices, bonds in recessions, and treasury bills in depressions. And so what he did was he created this portfolio and it was cut into four quadrants. And basically what he came up with was 25% in stocks, 25% in long-term bonds, 25% in treasury bills. So treasury bills are going to be really, really short duration, uh, near bonds or near cash, almost like a cash substitute, and 25% in gold. So that in itself is not levered per se, although I have seen people do variations where they lever it up and I'll kind of save that discussion uh, till we get to the risk parity. Maybe we want to do all weather. But, you know, one of the challenges with some of these portfolios is when they're back-tested, and think about this, he came up with it in the 80s. What do we have in the 80s? We had really high interest rates. And even treasury bills, so your shortest-term paper, paper meaning bonds, and if I, if I just pull up today, uh, you know, U.S. treasuries, bond yields, um, basically, I mean, they're, they're paying or they have been paying next to nothing. I mean, a one-month 
bill is is paying 19 basis points, so 0.19%, three months, 0.34%. Granted, they're higher. They're higher than they'd been because the Fed is, uh, you know, seems like they're on pace to raise interest rates by 25 basis points coming up at the March meeting, which will be uh, probably about 10, 11 days from now. Uh, so that's coming up. Even one year is just 1.02%, six months, 0.66%. Uh, so anyway, it's the idea that um, you have these treasury bills, you have treasury bonds, and historically, bonds, when we think about, okay, what happens when the market really, really sells off? Well, typically, the Fed has reduced interest rates and to try and help the economy. And during that time, when interest rates go down, bond prices go up, we saw, you know, look, bonds did okay in, in 2020. They did okay, 08, 09. Uh, I'll, when I get to the risk on this, I mean, coming from a really low rate environment to a higher rate environment, and then I know some people compare it to, let's say, the 1970s, but 1970s, we had really high coupons. Okay, let me move on. So that's the, the permanent portfolio. And then the all-weather portfolio, and there's different versions of this, but I think it was Ray Dalio is the one who came up with uh, the all-weather portfolio. I don't know the year that he created this. Uh, I suppose I could take a look at that real quick. And I think it was created sometime, uh, maybe late 80s, 90s, although I don't think it was launched as a portfolio until 96. And I'm just looking at the, the Bridgewater site. And basically, the premise, similar to the, the permanent portfolio, but it's, you have these regimes, and, and he, I've seen him talk about it, where he says there's, there's these four boxes. So rising growth, rising inflation, falling growth, falling inflation. And that, those different regimes, obviously different asset classes can do better in some, better in others. And I think the general version of his all-weather portfolio was something like 30% in stocks, 40% uh, in long-term treasuries, 15% intermediate treasuries. Then you had gold at 7.5% and uh, commodities at 7.5%. And with the advent of ETFs, someone who was looking to do this, they could actually replicate either of the portfolios I just mentioned, the permanent one or the all-weather. And... So it's the same, same thing. Uh, rising inflation, you would expect gold and, and commodities to do well. Uh, rising growth, stocks, uh, rising inflation. I, you know, in this, in this iteration of it, he doesn't have uh, uh, tips, treasury inflation protected securities. And I thought that was part of the, the allocation, but I could be wrong there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, these, these different... And obviously, when um, falling growth and falling inflation, bonds are going to do really well. So anyway, th those are the, the two portfolios. And I believe he offered a version, and, and again, I don't want to say this with uh, certainty, but uh, that he created this idea of the, uh, he did this in a risk parity way. And I'll explain what risk parity is in a little bit. But he used a, a little bit of leverage, is my understanding, in, in uh, some of the funds running this. 
And so this brings us to really the risk parity. And, you know, I've, I've heard people talk about the risk parity strategy and somebody said, what does that really mean? All right, well, let, let's kind of take a step back for a second. And when you think about parity, like if I was saying, hey, there's parity in the NFL this year, what does that mean? That means that you look and there's no one or two or three, you know, dominant teams. You have a lot of different teams with around the same record and there's parity in the league. When there's not parity in the league, you have a, a few, you know, not, not super teams, we have dominant teams. But it's the idea that things are sort of even across. When you think about risk parity, the S&P 500, and I'm going back to 1928, uh, has a, you know, a compounded growth rate around 9.98%. That's the historical, you know, just running the numbers. The simple average is a uh, return about 11.82. And so that's over about 94 years. The standard deviation, standard deviation uh, around that average is about 19.36%. Just running some numbers back to 1928. If I use something like the 10-year treasury, and I know those portfolios I just talked about, they use different iterations, uh, and some of them use longer bonds. But the 10-year treasury, the, the compounded growth rate over that time is about 4.84%. Simple average 5.11. The standard deviation of that portfolio is 7.64. So if we use standard deviation as a proxy for risk, um, basically, what does that mean? Well, you can see that if we, if we just use standard deviation and how many times more volatile our equities compared to the 10-year treasury bond, well, what, what would we say? Well, we'd say it's about, you know, two and a half times more volatile. So let me give you a, a real easy example. Well, all right, anyway, let, me, let me stick with that for a second. So if you're just using that and, you know, the idea is, right, one is more volatile than the other, and you're using volatility as a proxy of risk vis-a-vis -vis the standard deviation. Um, one of the, the popular portfolios is the 60-40, 60% stocks, 10% bonds. And if you go and you use a 60-40 portfolio, the standard deviation on that using the same numbers I just quoted you, but then using those two in a two-asset portfolio is about 11.94%. So... That is that cuts the the standard deviation down, the volatility and the risk. <clears throat> By the way, you can't you can't just take. So if you're going to weight a portfolio, you simply can't take. Uh, you know, if you're doing like sixty percent stocks, forty percent bonds, you can't take sixty percent of that standard deviation on stocks and forty percent on the bonds. And the reason is it's a more complicated formula because you have to account for the correlations. And so correlation, it's, uh, you've got to factor that in. If you just do it the other way, it's, it's not going to be correct. So what is risk parity? All right. Let me use some different numbers. And we're going to say asset A has a volatility of 20%. And asset B has a volatility of 10%. 
Asset A is two times more volatile than asset B. So let's say we were, we were in a 50-50 portfolio. Well, where's the risk coming from? The risk in that portfolio, and, and let's just say it's stocks and bonds, okay? Let's just make it even easier. Well, most of the risk or the standard deviation is coming from stocks. And so what risk parity does is it looks at the assets and it looks to arrange the portfolio so that using leverage, the standard deviations are all equal. In other words, if I use 50% stocks and 100% bonds, and you're like, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. That's 150% portfolio. That's leverage. That's borrowing. That, that doesn't make any sense. But think about it. If you use twice as much of the bonds and you raise it up to 20%, two times 10 is 20%. So that sleeve, that's the volatility it has. And then that volatility now equals the volatility of stocks. So that's a really simplified way of, of explaining kind of what happens in a, in a risk parity strategy. And, and I'll get to the, what I think are some of the, the risk on that uh, in a second. The other way that this works is, um, and you're like, well, wait a second, how does it even work? Well, a lot of these, uh, these funds that do it or strategies, they use futures. And so futures have a low requirement. So you could actually control without owning, you know, using uh, treasury futures. And the treasury futures, so you have, uh, you know, basically you have two-year, five-year, uh, you've got... Uh, they have a new one too. It's called the Ultra Bond. And uh, but twos, fives, tens, which are basically two-year treasury notes, five-year treasury notes. And these are these are futures, okay? And then there's an ultra 10-year uh, treasury note future. Then there's treasury bonds and there's ultra bonds, okay? So they have all these names and, and I don't want to go in too much into the details. But basically, when someone buys a future, they put up a little bit of money, but they control much more uh, notional value. And without complicating it too much, okay, when you own a, a treasury future, basically at the end of the contract, uh, you'll take delivery of bonds. And so anyway, I, maybe I'll, you know, I probably, I probably won't ever do a uh, one going in detail on uh, treasury bond futures. But anyway, so... That's, that's what these funds sort of do. Um, another fund, you know, I saw an ETF recently that basically does a, a 90-60 allocation. You know, like, okay, well, that's, that's 150%. And yeah, that's right. And the way that they do that is, uh, in their case, they're buying U.S. large cap stocks, so similar to the S&P 500. And then they're, they're buying treasury bond futures and they ladder them out. So they might buy, you know, a, a long bond really far out uh, in duration, tens, fives, twos. So they buy these futures and that's how they get the leverage. And remember, the idea is that if you have assets that have some amount of anti-correlation, meaning um, they're not perfectly correlated. So if stocks are going up and bonds are going down, and then you 
the risk parity is gaining parity, meaning that standard deviation, and I know I'm really simplifying it, but that risk measure and standard deviation with the with the weighting or with the leverage, it winds up being equal. And so it's it's kind of whether it's the all weather portfolio, you know, there's there's leverage versions of that. I'm not saying they're good or bad, but I want you to understand what what they are. So somebody asked me too. They said, "Well, historically, these have done okay, and bonds have have been okay over the long term." And hey, when inflation was going higher in the late 70s, early 80s, bonds didn't get totally killed. All right, so here, here's the issue, I think, with uh, comparing certainly the late 70s, early 80s to today, and that's we are at historically low interest rates. And the reason why that matters is when you want to see the risk of a change in interest rates, we look at what's called duration of a bond. And it's a formula and it accounts for how much the coupon is, meaning how much your, your interest payments are. And bonds present value is a, is a function of their cash flows. And then what you'll get back at maturity. And so the higher the coupon rate is, meaning the higher the interest rate that you're being paid, not the yield to maturity, but the coupon. And that cuts down your duration. And also the, the time to maturity cuts down your duration. So if you have a two-year bond and interest rates go up 100 basis points or 1%, the effect on the value of that bond is going to be less than if you have a, a U.S. Treasury that's uh, 30 years to maturity at a low coupon rate, probably has you know a, a duration around 24, 25, means if interest rates go up by a full 1% tomorrow, you'll be, you know, theoretically uh, be at risk for, you know, a drop of around 20, 25% somewhere in there. So I think that is one of the things, if we have a scenario where let's say that inflation, interest rates going higher, bonds are dropping, but the interest rates and the Fed raising rates causes equities to come under pressure as well, then you may not see bonds be as quite as beneficial as they have in the past. I'm not saying they're going to lose more than, than equities. I'm not saying that at all. But if they're being levered up, you know, two times, two and a half times, whatever it is, uh, that does increase the, the risk on that asset. Uh, and of course, some people say, well, wait a second, in, in some of the portfolios, you mentioned gold and, and commodities and things like that, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just, uh, it's one of the things to, to consider, okay? So I think if, if we want to think about what we talked about today, uh, we talked about risk parity portfolios, uh, permanent portfolio, all weather portfolios, and then we've explained the idea of risk parity, what that means, what it means uh, to create leverage in a portfolio. And as I said, in the coming weeks, uh, I think it'd be a good idea for us to do a, an episode where we talk about a hedged equity approach that we aspire to or can, uh, uh, prescribe to, uh, to use 
versus some of these portfolios. I think that would be an interesting discussion to have. Because all of these things that are trying to, to cut risk and diversify, the reason they're using them in the, in the portfolios is exactly that, to try and have something that's not completely correlated and to offset if, if equities really go down. Uh, but if, if you're able to be hedged and you can stay in equities, well, that to me is a little bit interesting as well. And you don't necessarily have the interest rate risk in, in those portfolios. So, um, by the way, if, if you want to learn more about that, uh, you can hit me up. It's uh, Derek.Moore at ZegaFinancial.com. That's D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Zega. That's Z's and Zebra, E's and Eddie, G's and George, A's and April. Uh, financial is up to you to spell correctly, dot com. And uh, I'd be happy to go through it with you. All right. Uh, we'll probably call it good for now. And I wanted to do something a little different on this one because I've been getting some questions on it. And keep the questions coming. Send me emails. I like emails. Let me know what you think of the, uh, the program. And uh, if you have questions on how we invest, or if you just want to suggest other topics like some of these were. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.